How do you write a song? How do I write a song? Well, you don't if have I a sat pen down with this piano, and what would happen? If I sat here and played some chords, whatever, and say, I'm going to write the best song I've ever written, nothing happens. Something in the heavens has to say, look, this is the time that this is going to be laid on you, and this is when I want you to have it. Now, I remember when I, when I wrote Billie Jean, I was riding in my uh, car down Ventura Boulevard. All I said to myself beforehand, I want to write a song with a great bass hook, you know, and, um, um, and I just let it go, really. And then several days later, you know, you know, the whole Where did that come from? From above. So, okay, you, you, you were singing the bass line. Sing that again, and then what happened? How did you get the other instrumentation and the composition? How did it work? It, 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 see, the thing is, in, um, artists seem to get in the way of the music. Get out of the way of the music. You know, don't write the music. Let the music write itself. The dance as well? Yeah, same thing. How do you... everybody. Welcome to Curiouser and Curiouser. I'm Saryu and we do this every Wednesday at around 8 p.m. Um, before we get started on our show today, uh, I just wanted to uh, call your attention to a show that we did last week with a very special guest who was uh, Ravi Venkatesan. He was the CEO and chairman of Microsoft India. Help build that into a powerhouse. Just came out with a new book called What the Heck Am I Doing With My Life? How to Flourish in Our Turbulent Times. He was also on the boards of Volvo and Harvard Business School, Strand Life Sciences, the Rockefeller Foundation, Hitachi. Really interesting guy, uh, not least of which is after uh, attending the famed IITs, he ended up on a shop floor in the United States and had the union head who was uh, really trying to get him fired eventually write his reference to Harvard Business School, and that's how we got in. So do check out their shows, subscribe to the show, and I want to welcome my co-host, Olivia. Hi, Olivia. Before we jump into... Hello, Sarayu. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today we're doing a show that is really special to me because I lived through the rise of Michael Jackson. Um, and why are we, you know, it's interesting. We keep choosing shows around like anniversary dates. I mean, completely accidentally. And of course, uh, 
in about a little over a week, it's going to be the 13th anniversary of the death of Michael Jackson on June 25th, 2009. Um, and why are we, you know, if you weren't there, I don't, and I'm assuming that many people that will be listening were not around when Thriller was released. And that was really kind of the turning point um, where Michael Jackson sort of transcended all of these barriers and became so huge. And this was before social media, right? And if you can, if you have, you know, um, time, there are so many documentaries you can go and see the craziness that was around him everywhere he went. And it's a little bit like Princess Diana, but since she was royalty and a you know, more a political figure, there was a formality and a barrier around her that Michael didn't have. And you will see him like walking through Vegas shopping malls and there are crowds of folks. And, and it's crazy in Europe. I don't know why they do this in Europe. People coming up to him going, Michael, I would like a hug. And he steps out of the crowd and gives them a hug. I mean, I can't imagine any star today doing that on the regular. Um, and so when he passed away, it was such a shock. And I'm talking as someone that wasn't like a huge obsessive fan of Michael Jackson. He was a soundtrack to my childhood. It was Thriller came out when I was a kid and was probably one of the first records I had, you know, probably one of the first 10 records I had. And it was so huge. And now looking back, I can understand that it changed everything, not just make him a superstar. It introduced black artists to MTV. It crossed over into rock, into pop from what was kind of R&B, funk, disco, and soul. Um, he changed the music industry, the royalty rates, the way music was promoted, the way videos were made. Thriller was a 14-minute music film. Rock and horror were combined in a way that, you know, Alice Cooper sort of did it in the 70s. But this was being done by a young Black artist that was crossing over. Um, so there were these extraordinary things that happened that put him in a league completely of his own. I mean, completely. When he died, and I'm sure many of you were around, um, I remember I was living abroad. I'm a venture capitalist. I was setting up a fund in another country. I was home. And I saw a tweet from a friend of mine in the news She's like in the, she's, she's kind of a reporter, I guess, but, and I think it was on Facebook or it was a tweet and she wrote, OMG, AP reporting Michael Jackson dead. And I went, what? And the first thing I went to was TMZ because I knew that New York Times, all these guys would not publish quickly enough. And of course it was being confirmed. And then of course, you know, the world came to know and the internet crashed, I think uh, over, it was something like the, for his funeral, there was some like huge number, like it was the considered one of the largest streaming uh, events ever. Um, huge, I mean, really huge. And and you know, his death at the time of his death, the internet crashed multiple times. Uh, websites crashed. There were slowdowns. Web traffic went up ten to twenty percent globally overall. Twitter, Google, AOL, AIM, Wiki, everything was strained. Of course, MTV went to put on a marathon of his music. Uh, as well as BET, the memorial service was, you know, one of, one of the most watched in streaming history. Um, and so this was a mega event, like on the level of like a U U.S. president getting assassinated. I mean, it was huge, right? And so I want to start with some of the things that people said about him at his death. And then let's talk about 
why he was such a important figure. Okay. So um, here are a couple of quotes I want to share. It's more than a couple, but I think it's important that you understand how far his influence was. Okay. Um, When we worked together on bad, I was in awe of his absolute mastery of movement on the one hand and on of music on the other. Every step he took was absolutely precise and fluid at the same time. It was like watching Quicksilver in motion. That was Martin Scorsese. The incomparable Michael Jackson has made a bigger impact on music than any other artist in the history of music. He was magic. He was what we all strive to be. I love you, Michael. Beyonce. From the beginning of my career, he was my idol in show business. I had his poster on my wall. Celine Dion. I knew Michael as a child and watched him grow over the years. Of all the thousands of entertainers I have worked with, Michael was the most outstanding. Many have tried and will copy him, but his talent will be matched. This is from somebody who would know Dick Clark. Just as there will never be another Fred Astaire, another Chuck Berry, another Elvis Presley, there will never be anyone comparable to Michael Jackson. I'm getting like choked up. His talent, his wonderment, and his mystery make him a legend. Steven Spielberg. And um, I want to share two more with you. Uh, My heart, my mind are broken. I loved Michael with all my soul, and I can't imagine life without him. We had so much in common, and we had so much loving fun together. I was packing up my clothes to go to London for his shows when I heard the news. I can't believe it. I don't want to believe it. It can't be so, Elizabeth Taylor. And lastly, when I first heard that Michael died, I was in London, days away from the start of my tour. Michael was going to perform in the same venue as me a week later. All I could think about in this moment was I had abandoned him. We had all abandoned him. We had allowed this magnificent creature who had once set the world on fire to somehow slip through the cracks. While he was trying to build a family and rebuild his career, we were all passing judgment. Most of us had turned our backs on him. In a desperate attempt to hold on to his memory, I went on the internet to watch old clips of him dancing and singing on TV and on stage, and I thought, my God, he was so unique, so original, so rare. There will never be anyone like him again. He was a king. Those are the unusually lucid and sincere words of Madonna. Um, wow. I so, mean, I, I can hear it in your voice, and I'm, I'm sort of sitting here listening to it, too, and it, it's just the personal impact is wild. I'm not even an obsessive Michael Jackson fan. I told you that before we started. I'm not like one of these people that ever saw one of his concerts. I wasn't, I, it was just music, right? Like I listened to a lot of different music and I probably would never go to one of his concerts at the height of his, but the hold that he had on people, it was kind of the same reason people were sort of, you know, I mean, he was came off as this very vulnerable, you know, sort of childlike figure. And he had this very tragic life, right? Where he really never lived a real life. And that was another quote that Catherine Hepburn made about him. She said, this man worked from the day he was born and he never had what we would call a semblance of a real life. He was working. He didn't go to school. He, you know, came from an abusive background. And then he had fame so young um, and then when Thriller came out, you know, Off the Wall put him in, in uh, at, a, at a different level. 
Uh, he was the standout star of the Jackson Five. Off the Wall took him to another level. And then Thrill Her put him on a level where he was no longer just kind of like a Black artist that had come up off what was called the Chitlin Circuit. This was like, you know, all of America, white, Black. This was people in Europe going crazy and having like, you know, nervous breakdowns and crying. It was like the Beatles happening all over again. And he just went to a different level. And his life was just so bizarre after that. And you guys, I don't know who in this room is old enough to remember this, but as I mentioned, you know, I was a child when Thriller came out. What I can tell you is back in those days, there were tabloids. Um, you would, When you check out at the checkout register, you don't see them as much anymore. All you would see was Star, Inquirer, N- News of the World, And Michael Jackson was always on the cover. It was like Michael Jackson, you know, sleeps in a hyperbolic oxygen chamber. Michael Jackson's chimp bubbles, you know, uh, near death. You know, Michael Jackson comes out of the closet. It was something Michael Jackson, like, you know, there was a couple of wrote, you know, stories that would be in rotation, but he was always one of them. So he had this impact on the culture where he just became kind of this household name and was linked with everybody, Brooke Shields, Madonna. So I thought it would be great to kind of go back and look at why this was and trace his life back and kind of focus a little bit on Thriller, which was kind of the sort of beginning of bringing him into kind of the popular consciousness. And also actually, I think, you know, as one of the best, as the best-selling record or album of all time is sort of worth digging into. So All right. So I'm sure everybody is aware that Michael Jackson sort of came up from, uh, you know, he grew up in Gary, Indiana, and he was part of a group with his brothers, um, Jackson Five. um, And he was not the lead singer. And I think it was his mother that actually said to his father, uh, hey, listen, Michael's actually singing. And so, uh, you know, he's a good singer and his father didn't believe it. And then actually he became sort of the breakout star. He was like a little kid. Um, and of course, anybody that knows anything about the backstory knows that, you know, uh, Joe Jackson was considered a very sort of abusive parent. Um, he had a belt uh, and Michael Jackson's talked about this very openly in interviews. Um, I know that he was definitely physically abusive and he made all of those kids work. And then on top of that, you know, Michael was sort of the youngest um, and he was with these kind of older teenage brothers that when they had that degree of fame, I think he was like a little kid, right? Singing ABC and Ben and all of those great songs, going on tour with them and seeing things that little kids shouldn't be seeing, right? Like his brothers sleeping with groupies in the same room. And at times there are stories of Michael Jackson warning these girls, like, don't do it. He's going to dump you. Like, just go home, you know, and they would tell him, be quiet, go to sleep, be quiet, don't, because they all shared a room during tour. So he was seeing all of these things, working really hard, at the same time being handed royalty checks at the age of whatever, you know, very young, let's say 10, I don't know if that's accurate, by his dad, $200,000 going, Michael, what do you want to do with this? Wow. You know, so you can think of how that distorts your worldview. And you probably know that he was always kind of, um, 
lamenting that he never had a childhood, Mm -hmm. which is sort of why he always talked about like, I'm Peter Pan, you know, I love children and built Neverland. And it was always, Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy everything that I like. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to eat like, you know, I have candy and popcorn and all of this stuff. And, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, in any of the interviews, the tourist through Neverland, which is like, you know, movie theater. Right, right. Where it's just, and there, I, I don't know. I was reading, and obviously there's the the documentary and everything. But there's like the train going through and everything, and so I, I, it is interesting, sort of from you know birth and childhood. There's this idea of of sensitivity and clinging to innocence that he like never got the chance to experience, and I'm just like it's just, it's just painting sort of a a tragic it's setting the scene for sort of a a tragic resolution in a way that's really sort of eerie to go back and look at in retrospect. It's extremely tragic. If you look at his life, it's like, I mean, would you, would that be a trade-off that you'd be willing to make, you know, have no life. Mm -hmm. And then of course, when he started to get more and more controversial and get into trouble, um, you know, the beginning of the end for him, there were uh, several documentaries that were very well popularized about him. Oprah did an interview that was really big. Um, and so did Martin Bashir. The Martin Bashir interview was the one where his manager said that killed him. That was the beginning of the end. That day, Michael started to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just because the way that he was painted in that interview was so awful. And actually, I watched it between yesterday and today again. And I was like, gosh, it is so, now that all of us are kind of aware of the way that the news is manipulated and fake news and stuff, you look at it with a different eye and you go, wow, you know, that's really interesting. The way that the questions are leading and he's saying things like, I was very worried about uh, the fact that Michael was like holding hands with this young man and putting aside whatever that meant and what happened um, the fact is, if you go to countries all over the world, men holding hands is a very common thing. And it doesn't necessarily immediately jump to kind of the sexual connotation. Of course, you wouldn't know that in America, but we're and and clearly this man had an angle and a job to do. And he was also the guy that did the the interview with Princess Diana, by the way. Um, oh, got, I did not know that. Yes. Yes, the and huh. the one that where she was like, I want to be yeah. known as the Queen of Hearts. The one yes. that you know, she said there were three of us in the marriage. So he's known for doing these interviews. And by the way, he was he got really slammed and discredited. And I think, I really think he was very much a tabloid type of reporter. Uh, the tactics he used, the way that he was setting up the questions, I'm very worried, you know. And mm. and I watched him. I, I you know, I personally, my feeling, I didn't very much like the way that the. Um, interview was conducted because it always seemed to come from an accusatory place of like, you're guilty. Now prove to me that you're innocent. Um, So anyway, there were documentaries like that that came out, which destroyed him. And he also, you know, um, he, I, you know, I worked for Pepsi, uh, not many, many, many years later, but he had a very big, you know, as I mentioned, he was a groundbreaker and had done things he you know he had like uh the highest royalty rate he had like the mm-hmm. biggest deal the endorsement deals and they were doing a a a video for Pepsi and his hair very famously caught yep. on fire there are clips I remember of this. reading about this yeah yeah you, there are clips of this all over the internet where you can see his blood coming out of his head oh god yeah you can literally see him going I don't understand why he wasn't screaming I mean he was so calm you literally see there's a bald spot 
and blood and scarring and all this stuff. And, and after that point, he was put on painkillers. So that kind of never ended up going away. And then his face, he had a, he had a nose surgery for something serious earlier. So his septum had broken or something. And then after that, it started. The only thing his mother said after his death, she said, uh, the skin, you know, people would accuse him, you know, many of the things that would come up on these tabloids, uh, you know, this was before the Martin Bishop. He's using skin bleaching cream. He mm-hmm. wants to be white. Michael, if it doesn't, if it doesn't matter if you're black and white, why are you so white? You know, that was the joke. Um, because there was a song he said, it yeah. doesn't matter if you're black and white. Yeah. And he came out and he explained he had, you know, vitiligo, which is a skin disease that turns you completely white. And it's, it's apparently on his father's side. Um, and I think, you know, and you would see these, these headlines and things. And so there was sort of a, a huge string of things that were happening that were not very happy for him. And I think he was so awkward and out of reality that probably didn't, you know, and probably people are catering to him so much Mm -hmm. that he has no idea of how weird he's coming off, you know, and how strange he is. And in fact, there's this documentary I'm looking at right now, which is called, it's really good. It's like, it's called, um, uh, let me see the name of it. It's, um, it's called Michael Jackson commemorated. uh Oh, it's called Michael Jackson commemorated. Um, full documentary and it basically shows him it in Gary, Indiana. Um, and it's him in the limo with his family. And you're basically, it's like you're one of the honor honorage and it's really interesting to watch. So you should take a look at it, but totally. you see on top of all of this stuff, the pressure you have people around you. And I was just thinking, how would I deal with that? I mean, mm. this is, they were like, remember this, there was no social media then. And now if somebody walks out, they've got, you're not getting anywhere near them. They've got like 12 bodyguards around them. He's got bodyguards around them, but there are people reaching between the bodyguards and grabbing him. Girls going, Michael, I love you. You know, can I have a hug? And he stops and he goes, yeah, I'll give you a hug. And I'm going, what is he doing? You know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's what I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I'm coming from Gen Z and looking at sort of, you know, obviously there's always been this idea of the celebrity and like, there's the, the the persona and the icon of the celebrity and then there's the actual person. And I think the thing that's really striking me about this and, and the fact that there was no social media, is like say what you want to say about TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all that, like it has its flaws. But it, I think for a celebrity, it does allow sort of control of your own narrative in a way that perhaps Michael Jackson never really got to have. Like he, yeah. he had a publicist, like I'm sure he had a team, you know, working on his image and all of that. But I think social media has just allowed, even if it's still crafted, it has allowed more control for an individual themselves to sort of put out this narrative and put out this feeling about themselves. And so maybe, you know, I sort of wonder, like, if if Instagram or Twitter had been around when Michael Jackson was sort of coming up, would there have been a whole other side of him we would have gotten to see? Yeah. And you wonder um, how that would have mitigated his success, right? Because remember, Mm. people knew him through records, through tapes, through the videos. um, And that's really kind of what made him a star. So you probably don't know this, but MTV basically refused to play Black artists before Michael Jackson. Yeah. And Walter Yetnikoff, the famed, like, uh, you know, sort of thuggy, you know, he was like sort of the... um, 
uh, what's his face? The guy with the one earring that Suge Knight, he was like the Suge Knight of like those days. He basically threatened MTV and said, if you don't play these videos, we are never going to give us you any more videos. So they grudgingly played Billie Jean, PYT, and eventually Thriller. And can I tell you in those days, those were the only videos that ended up getting played after a while because they were so, I, could, I was just like, oh my God, Billie Jean again. It would be on all the time. Um, PYT, Beat It. Um, and then of course, Thriller, which I love. That was like one of my favorite songs. Um, icon. Oh my God. It is just, that was so iconic. But, mm-hmm. um, and so MTV was not playing, you know, you, people can't, got to know him through those mediums. And then if he came on tour, people would have to find out well, there was no internet, you know, you would have to find mm-hmm. out what hotel he was at. So it's all the more extraordinary that you have fans showing up, but those were the only ways you could connect. And I wonder you know, how it would have been had he been, you know, I feel like now stars, there's some mitigation in how um, there's some dilution because there's so much out there, right? Mm -hmm. And we have so many channels. You can avoid all of the big pop stars completely if you want and just go on SoundCloud or go into some underground thing and lose yourself and have no idea who Billie Eilish is. Um, That wasn't possible, you know, back in 1982, 83. It's like, radio and then a little bit later MTV mm-hmm. and you all were consuming the same thing. So well, it's, it's also like, I wonder it doesn't leave also for a fan and, and people, you know, people who are just obsessed. I feel like it allows them to build, build a person, build a celebrity up in their mind even more because they don't have sort of this 24 seven access to them. Like, like you're saying, like they have to like listen to the radio, they have to go on MTV, they have to like find out, you know, like there's, there's a little bit more of like creation on the fans part. And there's more mystique. There's more mystique, but I think a fan is a fan is a fan. Taylor Swift, but uh... (laughs) (laughs) at me, I see someone in the audience, their handle is Swifty lover. Let's be friends. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, 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 you know, he had just to go back to kind of tracing his trajectory, you had this man that was, you know, he broke out and when you look at the Jackson five, I mean, their music was so amazing too. the costumes, the Afros, he was this little kid who just wanted to play and he could never play. And he talks about seeing children playing and crying because he had to go to rehearsal and his dad was sitting there with a belt. Um, and by the way, Janet Jackson, oh her her first album, you know, I think it was Control. I don't think it was the 821 Rhythm Nation. But she talks about, in fact, a little um, tri- piece of trivia. You know, I was a model and the first show I walked down a runway to, I'm uh, sorry, the first song that I walked down a runway to was Control. And my cue was when I was 17, um, I did what people told me. And that was the cue that I had to walk down to. I wasn't even 17. I was younger than that. Okay, but anyway. Side note, I need to see a video of this at some point. But oh, that was a digression. And I'll come back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, but Janet talks about that too, right? Their father was terrible and and very abusive. On the same time, you know, he kind of created who they were uh, by being like, there's there's no way but up and there's no way but success. So anyway, so he broke out from the Jackson five, had off the wall, which was a disco-y record, by the way. And then when he went to go do the Wiz, you know, the Broadway show, that's when he was hanging out at Studio 54. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it all like it's an escape. <laughs> yeah, 
it's an escape for me. So, um, and we actually had a clip of him in the Studio 54 episode, mm-hmm. which you can listen to. There's a little clip of Michael Jackson talking about how magical it is. Um, and so he was just in awe of all of this stuff, right? And then Off the Wall came out, and I think it was big, probably bigger in the Black community. And, uh, and then when he made Thriller, he wanted to do something a little bit different. And Quincy Jones, of course, produced it. Uh, there was tension between them in the studio. Uh, and uh, it it's, was interesting for its time because you did not have collaborations. And, you know, you did not have, you know, when you think about like, um, you know, kind of Run DMC and uh, Aerosmith or when you think about Kendrick Lamar and, you know, somebody else. Uh, was it he imagined dragons like you, those things that seem like a little bit more um you know guest starring like cardi b guest starring with uh you know uh what's his face uh adam levine um oh yes 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 on the, you the know it seems soundtrack. yeah yeah it seems like normal now but it's really not um and so you know um you really it was extraordinary that when this record came out like you had session players and members of Toto on this album, you know, who sang that beautiful song, Africa and hold the line. I love them. And then Eddie Van Halen, I I was listening to the guitar solo as I was walking somewhere on uh, beat it. And my eyes filled up with tears. I'm like all of these phenomenal talents gone dead, you know, Eddie Van Halen, Van Halen was huge uh, at the same time. So Eddie Van Halen came on and did the guitar solo um, you know, they had the Vincent Price sort of talking over Thriller. Um, and Thriller was extraordinary. The song itself, I'm going to see if I can find it. Thriller was extraordinary for multiple reasons. Um, so no one had, first of all, Michael Jackson was, uh, grew up Jehovah's Witness. And there was a lot of um, religious kind of, he had a lot of sort of religious pressure of, to conform. And he's come out and said homosexuality was not accepted in my background. Um, there were so many things that were not acceptable. And and Joe Jackson wasn't like that, but Catherine, his mother was. And so, um, and he was apparently, you know, when his brothers were sort of getting it on with groupies and stuff, sometimes he'd be sitting there reading the Bible or he'd hand them a Bible as a little kid and be like, read this, you know, oh, don't go man. with my brother, read this. Yeah. So it was really very innocent, you know. And so when Thriller came out, there was actually a huge live backlash because people were like, you know, this is America. This is, you know, mm-hmm. hashtag America. A lot of people were like this is the devil. Why is he doing zombies? And this is the devil's work. So there was a meeting. So he had to put a disclaimer at the beginning of the video, which is still there. Like it's, I looked at like, you go on YouTube, it's still there. You're like, he's like, due to personal beliefs. Yeah. Due to personal beliefs. Like I decry the occult or something like that. I think that's, that's the word occult he uses. Yep. It's, it's a part of the, it's absolutely a part of the, um, the uh uh the video now and so um you know it starts out and it's this like campy had john landis who had done a bunch of movies like seemed it seemed like it was going to be like rock and horror that's very i was really into horror this is why i love this and it's actually scary you know and at the end when he turns around and his eyes are yellow and it was actually him all along you're like oh my god and you have this amazing music and that beat there's the, I don't know what you call it. I was looking, trying to look up what that sound is called. It goes boop, 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 
boop a boop in the background yeah it's 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 like a it's like a bass but it's something they, it's like, like a edited. frog yeah it's like a frog you know yeah. and um and i'm gonna play thriller and when it comes up i'll play it louder but um you know i mean and then you have the vincent price rap and it probably i was thinking about what i have done this as an artist back in that time and i was like i would have thought this is cheesy you wouldn't have vincent and he didn't know who vincent price was but vincent price was a very famous you know sort of old hollywood actor that was known for doing all of these horror movies so mm-hmm. i had him come and rap over it he came up with the dance um you know it was one of the most expensive uh videos ever made and then they did a follow-up called the making of thriller which ended up becoming uh the best-selling home video or something in history um the the record explored many genres um but the song and the video was like unlike anything had they'd ever seen the zombies the costumes the dancing and it foreshadowed so much stuff right the zombies um you know it was a first that was video to music and the images were being connected to the music and the dance so that the thriller dance has become iconic yeah. i know you said that you had done that yeah it's like before i feel like you know i'm 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 24 so i i wasn't alive when you know michael jackson was sort of really coming up and and doing all these things but it's like i remember being so little and just like humming along to thriller and and watching that movie 13 going on 30 and and seeing them do the thriller dance and just like being aware like even if i didn't know who michael jackson was i was like i know this song and i you know grew up dancing at my dance studio and we we did a thriller dance and and i could i can name like three other studios in my town that also did a thriller dance. And then we did a thriller mashup in one of my, you know, choral classes in middle school, like this. And then, you know, there was the thriller episode on Glee. Like if we want to talk about, you know, how it's relevancy coming back. Like they did a whole recreation of thriller with like football and cheerleader uniforms. Like the thriller theme is, is not something that has gone away at all. When he died, one of the things that brought, I mean, literally tears, there were two times, two times that I really cried. Um, One was these, I'm like getting so emotional right now. I don't even know why. It's like, um, after he died, these prisoners in the Philippines all did like this thriller dance. They literally came out into the yard. It's on YouTube. And I mean, I just started weeping. He touched so many people. Mm-hmm. These were guys that were locked up for like yeah. murder, you know? And yeah. Or came out. Well, I'm sure not murder in the Philippines, but you know, theft. But and something. whatever. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm like, nobody has a murder rate like ours. So I'm like, they're not going to murder. Anyway, sorry. My brain is like, that's not right. Don't say that. Um, and just, it makes me just think about actually, I like, I, I distinctly remember where I was when I found out he had died. And, and I just want to share it because I feel like it, it touches yeah. on that of like what how he touched people and his legacy and whatnot. And so, you know, like you said, it was June 25th. um, And I remember I had just finished a performance, actually. I was in like this theater summer camp and we had done like our our final showcase for the parents we had done. There was dancing and there was singing, like I, you know, I did like a scene, a monologue. Like it, so it was, it was very much like these little, little kids, like I was, you know, 10 or so at the time coming out of the theater, had just done our show, like sort of on the high. And I remember our director like gathered us backstage and was like, 
I'm not sure like how many of you know who this is, but you know, someone really important died, um, Michael Jackson. And I remember all like we like we were children, like I was 10, and, and it's not that I was a Michael Jackson super fan or anything like that, but I remember feeling this like almost kinship with him. It's like here I was just like coming out of like a performance and coming out of the theater and I was standing with my cast and we had just had this experience on stage. And then hearing that like, you know, the king of all performers had just died. There were there was a sort of palpable emotion amongst a bunch of like 10 to 12 year olds. And it's so like I I so viscerally remember that and remember that exact like location and feeling as my director was telling us this and I remember being like I don't even really know Michael Jackson but I feel really sad right now about it and I think you know looking back on it now it kind of just speaks to you know what we're talking about like how he touched people his legacy like just the way he sort of transcended generations you know and when you're saying this I'm thinking there's no way you can possibly understand to you maybe he's one of many icons in the past mm-hmm. but that was and this is coming from somebody that you know I say this all the time I grew up in the punk rock scene this was not my scene and I'm telling you he changed everything there was it was a Madonna Prince Prince became big on his coattails Mm -hmm. because Purple Rain and all that stuff would have never been played on MTV. And, you know, I, of course, didn't realize this at the time. But now looking back, I'm like, yeah, that's the first time that I was actually listening to an African-American on that, you know, Mm. and I'm literally that was the first time I went out and I bought a record. And I wasn't even thinking about black or white or anything. But I'm like, yeah, that's the first record I bought by somebody that was an African-American and he had crossed over in such a huge way and just changed everything for, as I mentioned at the beginning, from the business of music Mm -hmm. to the way that it was consumed to um, the way that, you know, people were uh, interacting with artists and what it meant to sort of be a a superstar, Um, all of that stuff. Right. And so, you would literally just sort of um, see this stuff. And again, because there was no social media, you can imagine that in some ways it was deeper. It was narrower and deeper, you know, mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. you didn't have all these different ways to kind of verify and find yeah. out. And so the, the, it, the experience was much deeper. And so I really, one of the things I wanted to make sure that we get through, um, you know, this episode, um, get across in this episode, pardon me, is how he changed the field. This was like, and in many, you know, they say Elvis Presley. I mean, it was like the Beatles, Michael Jackson. Those were sort of two moments in music. And that's why he became so huge you know, so huge, why it's the best selling album of all time. And particularly that album, because of all the records, you know, that obviously, you know, he came out with like something like, um, I think it was like eight Grammys. Um, I'm just gonna just want to make sure I'm not getting the numbers wrong here. Eight Grammys, eight music, American music awards, 70 million plus albums. Yeah. Sold. um, I mean, prolific is like an understatement. Like, yeah. And I, I think, too, something about, you know, looking, it's just sort of like looking retroactively on it, the way that he spammed genres. I think also, I think maybe what was so important to him, and I think about 
you know, my family, my dad, my grandfather, my, my great uncle, um, and sort of like what he meant to like the African-American community, seeing his evolution of his music, like coming from Motown and coming from the blues and you can just see and feel these influences and how it just has transformed everything into R&B, hip hop, rap, like all of it is coming from not that he's the sole reason that this the music industry has evolved the way it is, but if you if you trace back the evolution of the styles, there's this sort of grounded grounding in Motown and in blues that Michael Jackson was able to sort of come from, come out of, build upon, and just like blow the field wide open with it. Absolutely. And take it to a different level, right? And mm-hmm. then start these collaborations and cross over. I mean, beat it you know, was, and by the way, they were real gang members and beat it in that video. I didn't know that. Yep. Those were real gang members that he recruited. And that, I love that song. That was on MTV. Like literally be like, oh my God, it's beat it again. That's a great song. Yeah. Thriller, they didn't play that often, but beat it. uh, I think PYT, there was a video to that. Maybe I'm making that up, but definitely beat it. And Billie Jean, Billie Jean was on all the time Mm -hmm. and it wasn't one of my favorite songs. But I was always like, oh, my God, it, the lights, the step, those lights when he steps and they light up. Yeah, that was always on. Um, and, you know, I was just going to say really quickly, because um, we'll probably come back to his death. But the two things that made me so emotional was that Filipino prisoner. And then when he died, I was back in the United States. So I was um, I forced my family to watch the funeral. And then I went out and I um, I forget there was a. uh I, for, I forget how we watched this. I don't know if I like rented a DVD because there were DVDs back then. Um, I rented a DVD of the making of Smooth Criminal because that's actually one of my favorite songs and and was bawling. I mean, the way that he was moving, he had built these really special, these shoes that could make him lean over. If you've seen the video, um, yes, that's actually I've him that. leaning yep. over. And he had like yep. paid like a ridiculous amount of money to have these shoes built so that they were like, you know, like going against gravity. And okay, this story. actually makes so much sense to me. I didn't realize it was, I thought this was just like him and his crazy like shin and calf muscles that was pulling him up in his lean. So that, that is- No, that he, it was him. It was him, but he, he spent all of this money. And I, I mean, I was literally bawling and like mm. yelling at my mother and telling her, you need to see this. And she was like, okay, okay. I'm watching. I'm like, this guy is a genius. I don't care yeah. what kind of music you're into, but this guy's a genius. And, um, you know, anyway, but so Thriller comes on the scene, it changes everything, right? And the biggest controversies at that time were, you know, the fact that he was dabbling in the supernatural, you know, is what people were, because that video freaked everybody, you know, all of them, you know, sort of Bible, you know, thumping people, religious people, they were like, oh, you know, that's a horrible video. I mean, I mean, I'm sure now they're praying that something like Thriller would come back given what's out. Uh, in the world, but they just see anything by Megan the Stallion, and they're like, "Nope," or Lil Nas X. <laughs> everybody, everybody was like, like all these people were like so offended by Thriller, uh, the song, not the album. And the other thing that was controversial, very innocent, was he would grab his dance moves. He would grab his crotch. His mother said, "You might want to not want to do that." And he was like, "Mom, I'm sorry. That's the way the music moves me, or whatever." So those two things were controversial, you know, and little did he know that his life would just completely change over time. So you move on. Uh, he has this, you know, he's this superstar. He has this accident filming the Pepsi commercial. 
that's where the painkillers come in. He ends up uh, then having, you know, he had to have these scalp, like the transplants. And so that's why his hair got like, you know, started to look a little bit odd. Um, and he continued to perform. He was becoming a bigger and bigger superstar. Um, and then there was, you know, I think, and I forget what year. And he was doing weird stuff, right? Like he was showing up what was considered weird, right? First it was cute. And then it started to border on weird. Like he, you know, in many of these documentaries, he's like, my first girlfriend was Tatum O'Neill. And, and we're all going, really? <laughs> you know, and, and, and he's like, yeah, you know, we dated and whatever. But it was really friendships, right? He was so innocent with these girls, Brooke Shields and Tatum O'Neill. And he calls them girlfriends. But um, actually, I think they were all friends or he ran away if something started to happen. And all this stuff is very well documented through interviews and videos. But he would show up at like the Grammys or the American Music Awards or the Oscars with um, he showed up with Madonna one year. Uh, that was, quote unquote, a date for them. Uh, and apparently she tried to make a move on him and he ran out of the room screaming. But um, he showed up at one of these award shows with Brooke Shields and Webster, uh, Emmanuel Lewis. I don't know if you remember that show. He was like a little. I don't know. I don't remember kid. this one. He was like, okay, do you know what, um, not what's happening, uh, different strokes, Gary Coleman. I don't. I feel oh like my I God. Need, I, I know. know. Okay. So, different, mean, so there were, there were these, there was this kind of, um, uh, a, a number of shows that featured like very, oh, like, oh, I just Googled it. Yes. I do know this. Yes. Webster. Yeah. Yep. yep Webster yep, yep, yep. was like, so he showed up with Webster holding Webster, Emmanuel mm -hmm. Lewis and Brooke Shields. And that was, so everyone thought that was cute. Then he got a chimpanzee. Then he started to build out Neverland and that was starting to get a little bit, you know, people were like, oh, which to me, none of this sounds particularly weird. And then all of a sudden you start moving into He's starting to do weird things. Like, like I mentioned the tabloid culture in America at that time. It would be like Michael Jackson kidnapped by alien, bubbles the chimp left, you know, to fend for himself over a week at Neverland. You know, these were the headlines. And mm -hmm. then they said that he purchased the bones of the elephant man. I don't know if you know the story of the elephant man. I do uh, know the story of the elephant man. I did not hear the story of him purchasing oh, the bones. It was every week it was something different. And you will see in these documentaries, he's like, no, I did not do that. I was not responsible for that. So all of this stuff went on and on and on. Um, and then you started to have, you know, you would see him around children. Um, one thing I will say is in Neverland and in his home during the construction, he had built in around the walls, hospital rooms, essentially beds. So that hospital beds, so that sick children could watch movies with their oxygen tanks and all of their hospital stuff. He was, uh, by, I mean, by documented accounts, the most generous celebrity. He donated so much that people didn't know uh, about. And he was constantly, every three weeks, bringing underprivileged children, children that were sick, donating money, doing things. Uh, when there were like, you know, there was some kind of riot happening. I was watching this documentary and they were saying, Michael Jackson got in a car and went down there. And he was like, man, I never seen anybody at that level doing this kind of stuff, right? So he was doing all this stuff. And yet, he was covered like such a weirdo in the press and the surgeries started happening, right? And the vitiligos or vitiligo, I don't know how you say it, started to kick in. So he started to physically look very different. And 
he got the name Wacko Jacko in the press, which apparently hurt him. There were also some racist connotations. I remember hearing that. I never, because I was too little to understand there's racist but connotations. But um, there apparently are racist connotations to that mm. uh, term. But they, I just thought they were saying he's crazy, you know, Wacko Jacko. And so... Um, they called him Wacko Jacko. That really hurt him really badly. So he became this sensational figure. And it seemed like it was getting more and more bizarre. Every time you would hear about him outside of putting out an album, he was doing something weird. And then it was uh, then sort of allegations of the sexual abuse started coming. And then suddenly he goes out and he marries Lisa Marie Presley. Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing. And it was so awkward and strange, right? They had a kiss at one of these award shows. Apparently, she did not know that he was going to do. And she was really angry about it afterwards. Um, and she basically doesn't come out and say very much about the marriage other than he was, you know, I was a, he was a support to me. I was a support to him. You know, I'm sorry it didn't work out, you know, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of people thought that he married her. Uh, basically he was using her as sort of a shield against what was happening. Um, And so he was married to her, you know, they made a really weird video. I guess it was, you are not alone. Is that the video? I'm not sure. I'm I'm, this part. This part. I don't, I don't, I don't know as much about, I think I, you know, you hear rumors and you read the story, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know as much about this part. And I, I, so, so there's a video you should see where she's like half naked and he's like, you know, it's like, it, it's just very awkward and strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and so of course that marriage didn't last. And then all of these, you know, he, they started to come after him for the sexual abuse because there was one kid that came out and then another kid that came out. And then it was like a, and, and they started to, I think they went to his home and searched mm-hmm. it. They strip searched it. And then there was Latoya. Well, you know, she did. She ended up retracting her statement and everything. But there yes. was a well, period was, of time where she was saying that. Well, Latoya yeah. was always considered out of her mind, by the mm-hmm. way, and she always struck me as that. And she was married to a really crazy guy that controlled her. And even as a child, I could see that that they they were off. And um, he was like her. I think his name was Jack Gordon or something. But um, she was always a little bit off and doing things. I think she was the oldest sister. There was Re- no Rebe, who came up with a great song called Centipede. And then I think it was Latoya. And uh, Latoya came out later and retracted everything and said her husband made mm-hmm. her do it. But she was yeah. always kind of doing, like, Janet seemed like the one that was most straight, you know, like, did her work, did, you know, was, mm-hmm. like, very focused on her music, you know, was on good times, you know, had an acting career before that. But I think Latoya was kind of one of these people that was sort of on the sides, you know, of of in in terms of like the way that the siblings in terms of like accomplishments and stuff. So Latoya was discredited uh, and and basically came out and said that none of that was true. But um, this stuff started to come out. They strip searched him. I do remember the he he put out a, a statement on TV crying saying they looked at my genitals and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I didn't do anything. And he was so upset and he was crying on TV and he looked really strange. And mm-hmm. at that point, I think he was still a huge star and people loved him. But most people now had a little bit of doubt, right? About yeah. what's good. Now, I would say most people, because actually there were a, there was a, there was a poll that was done that said 75% of Americans see him as being not guilty. But there yeah. was enough out there, the tabloid, when you see enough 
and you're told enough about something, even if you don't fully believe it, it's in your realm of possibility. Yeah. Well, what was the whole thing too? I, and I, I don't really remember this, but I remember sort of vaguely hearing the uproar about it was that he was like holding one of his kids like over a balcony at some point. Yeah. So do you remember Blanket. that? Yes. So that was yeah. in Germany and Berlin. He'd escaped. Yeah. It's in the Martin Bashir documentary, which yeah, yeah, I yeah. highly recommend that you guys watch. But he basically, his fans in Germany wanted to, and you know, Martin Bashir, he's a really, a, my, my view is I feel he's pretty awful in his narration. He's like, oh, I was very worried and it was horrible. And people in the room were like, uh, first of all, Michael just had an awkward grip. There was a balcony underneath that really wasn't that dangerous. But what he was doing was trying to show the baby to the fans mm-hmm. because there were huge fans outside of his hotel. Um, and they were all yelling F the press and stuff because the child abuse sort of accusations and the trial, all this stuff was kicked into high gear at this point. So he was in Berlin um, and he had gone to accept an award and spend some time over there. So he was basically showing his kids um, to the fans. But after he got divorced from Lisa Marie, he married his dentist's like hygienist uh, because she said that she would carry children for him. Um, had Paris and Prince Michael, mm-hmm. um, and then had Blanket Biggie, as he's called, um, uh, from a surrogate who's never been identified. And he claimed they were all his children biologically um, and raised them. You know, uh, he would carry them around with a blanket over their faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, mm-hmm. this is not helping, you know, and take them to like the Berlin Zoo. Or in Vegas, you know, with a sheet over their heads. So this made him look even stranger. You know, his face is morphing. Now he's got to carry an umbrella everywhere because he can't be in the sun. Um, And, you know, everything's just getting weirder and weirder. So you have this circus developing around him. Um, He basically is put on trial. He shows up every day, sometimes wearing pajamas and Mm -hmm. sometimes not showing up at all. Meanwhile, you know, his music is doing, you know, he's still considered a superstar. Um, And then at some point, this Bashir, you know, Oprah does a interview with him um, and uh, asks him all of the questions, but kind of going to go easy on him compared to Bashir. And then the Bashir documentary comes out and his manager has come out and said, that is the day Michael died when that documentary came out and the angle that Bashir took killed him. You know, it from that day on, because it was so slanted and so negative. And after that, I think he was just constantly, it was more like, you know, trying to uh, maintain that he was innocent uh, when kind of the media had kind of branded him. I wouldn't say the public, I would say the media had said, this guy is guilty. And as, as Madonna's quote, you know, many, many, many stars said we abandoned him. We abandoned this fragile soul. And if you go back, you know, there are plenty of documentaries that also actually share, uh, you know, the opposite. They say, hey, wait a minute. They discredit, you know, line by line by line accusations, timelines, what people said. Well, why wasn't this? Well, how come this didn't happen to Macaulay Culkin? How come this didn't happen? Because generally, if you are, you know, engaged in that sort of activity, it's not, you know, you're kind of like sort of doing this on the regular, right? It's not just, uh, you know, with like one, two, three, seven, you know, or 13. It's, 
it's a lot more sort of sustained than that. So there, there are lots of documentaries and stuff that come out and sort of uh, refute the facts. And then, as I mentioned, the FBI eventually, and you can find those documents online, cleared him. Um, he was acquitted. Uh, they cleared him. Uh, the autopsy, sadly, of his death showed that some of the things that people said in terms of like, I can identify him by marking on his body were not true. Um, and I think, you know, when I think about Michael Jackson, this is so sad. Of course, Ben is like now playing in the background. Um, mm-hmm. sad story, such a sad song. Um, oh. I'm not going to listen to this because it makes me really sad. Um, um, you know, um, I think when I think about what could have happened, I think this was a man that honestly never grew up. And I don't mean that in a lighthearted way. I think he was incredibly immature. I think he was very innocent. I think he lived in a world that was completely his own. Uh, As Catherine Hepburn and many others have said, he never lived a day of a real life. He was either working or in this bubble. And so I think what seemed normal to him probably wasn't. I think many, many, many people were after him. He was the wealthiest man in the world, right? For money, for fame. And I think that things can get distorted. Um, And he certainly comes across as somebody that's very sincere and innocent. And are there, you know, I mean, are there sort of, um, is there truth to some of these, you know, some of the, the leading Neverland, the documentary that came out about uh, Wade Robeson and the other guy that accused him of molesting them for all these years. There are, again, counter documentaries that go by and go, well, why didn't they come out and say this before? You know, just line by line by line, pointing out discrepancies. Um, because both of them, I think, at some point needed money. Uh, they were signing deals to do things. Um, and so all of this stuff is thrown into question. There was one of the accusers' father pushed him to basically say that Michael Jackson had done some things. And by the way, that father ended up committing suicide a year after Michael Jackson died. Um, So there were many folks that, you know, was captured on record, did not want to come out, said that nothing happened, were forced to say things. So I think it's difficult, you know, without saying yes or no, I can see how in a bubble things could kind of happen where, you know, not excusing bad behavior, but because you have no idea of what's right or wrong, and you're living at this level that none of us can ever imagine, that, you know, sometimes things could happen, lines could be caught, who knows? But it doesn't, that doesn't seem so far-fetched to me. Not like a Ted Bundy going out and actively, I'm a bad person, I'm out there to kill women, you know? Mm-hmm. I, the word that I that I just I'm continuous like that just keeps popping in my head is just like tragic honestly like the whole you know starting from childhood and the abuse he suffered suffered his childhood and I think you're right you know he was in the bubble like there's it's I I I feel complicated about it but I it's more but more than I feel complicated about it I just feel like it's the sense of tragedy and just the sense of like sadness in juxtaposition to this just like amazing light and talent and creativity and, and genius. The this the sort of dark side of that and, and and the complexity of that, you know, it's not I I don't think it's my place to sort of judge 
what's true, what's not true. Right. I'm sort of just left with the legacy. And, you know, you look at the information that's in front of you and you look at what's been left behind and the contributions and just the changes and the advancements and the, the like epiphanies. And it's just, it's in this, like, you can't, it's just, it's, it does make me sad. Like, I feel emotional about it. Like, it's, it's, he's this, like, incredible musician and icon that his impact will be felt forever. And, like, you can't even sum up. He's a victim himself. Yeah. And it's. He really is. It's so, it's, yeah, it's just it's tragic. Like, I just, I can't get away from that word. It's just, it's so It's very tragic. You know what emotional. Joe Rogan said? Joe Rogan said something. He very he said, well, you never want to be that famous. Yeah. And I was like, how right is he? Yeah. That kind of superstardom cannot happen today. And it can't happen today, I think, partially because of social media. There's too much diffusion. So, you know, you can go listen to your stuff on Spotify. I'm never on Spotify. I'm going to go, you know, listen to my punk stuff. I'm going to go listen to old records. Somebody else might be, you know, listening to mainstream radio. You you go to an EDM festival. I'm going to go to, you know, a rock it's just so diffuse and you have more choice than ever. There are more ways to listen to music. I don't know half the bands. I'm like on top of a lot of music. I don't know half the stuff. Like when you see these big EDM festivals, I'm like, I do not recognize 90% of these names. I think that's like actually a meme on TikTok. So I know it's not just me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, you don't recognize half the line. What is this? (laughs) I mean, celebrity is so, was so concentrated then. Right. Mm-hmm. And so and so in a way, it raised talent to a place where you could go, wow, that person is talented. And so um, I know people will be mad at me for saying this, but like I look at Madonna and I don't think of her as a great musician. I don't think of her as a great dancer. I think she's a great entertainer. I think there's a big difference. She is a phenomenal entertainer. Um, you know, she can she can sing, she can dance. Uh, she's a fabulous businesswoman, a fabulous marketer, incredibly creative, but I would not put her in the same leg as Michael Jackson. To me, he sings, he dances, you know, he's at a, he's at a level like Prince is at a different level, right? Uh, George Michael is at a different level. Um, and so I think that kind, this kind of stardom, I don't think you will ever see again. Um, and this kind of influence, I don't think you'll ever see again because, uh, you know, the type, the choice that we have, it's so diffused. There's so much out there that no two of us can be assured of listening to the same thing. So even though I was much more into hard rock and was getting into punk rock, I mean, I had Thriller. I listen to Thriller all the time, you know, now. And um, I think Michael Jackson's great. And I think a lot of people you know, uh, for my generation and, and your generation onwards, recognize the genius, you know, in his, uh, in his music. So, and, and what's, you know, interesting is I just wanted to say, I agree with you about it's, you can't say what happened, what didn't, you know, the Neverland, the finding, leaving Neverland movie that came out, um, you know, these accusations started in mid-1993. So he was going through this for, you know, over 15 years like, right, 1993, he died in 2009. So, uh, you know, a long time. These were dogging him for a long time. And that movie was done posthumously. So they came out in 2013. 
uh, and tried to sue the estate and, you know, sort of do all sorts of things. And they had both testified in his defense earlier on. Right. Right. And so, you know, a lot of, and, and many, you know, I, I think you can make up your mind. There's enough information out there that you can figure out, you know, which way your, uh, rationality and your emotions and everything tell you to go. Uh, As I said, my own sort of feeling is that I think that he was definitely someone that was tormented. Um, I think uh, he definitely was not normal. That's also what made him a genius. And he, I don't mean that in a, in any judgmental way. I just mean, no, no. I mean, that's just, it's yeah. I, I I completely know what you mean. He was catered to. Um, he was idolized. He didn't have the same rules that everyone did. He lived in a world where I think he was scared of being an adult and of adults and having real relationships. And, mm-hmm. you know, who knows, you know, like what happens in those situations. But I cannot imagine that anything happened maliciously in any way or like I'm, you know, I'm going to get what I'm going to get, you know, like kind of when you think of, uh, somebody that's doing criminal things or bad things. I just, I find it very hard knowing the totality of who the person is to believe that. Um, so, um, I think it's very interesting, but I don't know if, I know we have folks that are listening, if anybody has anything that they want to share or, because this is such, I mean, this is a topic that I think everyone has an opinion on. Um, and it's, uh, well, not necessarily just that topic, but just Michael Jackson in general. Um, and again, I, I really just cannot emphasize enough that he was, I mean, he literally changed the face of everything. everything. Yeah. yeah. I just want to call out um, one comment from Swifty Lover in the live chat. Says, I remember I was around eight or nine when he died, and it was the first celebrity death that I actually felt aware of and impacted by. Um, And, you know, I think that just speaks to, you know, what we're talking about, like the legacy lasting. Like Swifty Lover, I was a little bit older than you were, but the same sort of feeling of that personal and that pointedness and poignancy sort of not going anywhere. um, That is something that just will carry on. Yeah. And you can imagine for people, I mean, the, all of the tributes that came out, as I mentioned, the one that's just brought tears to me were all the Filipino prisoners that mm-hmm. basically did. And they're like literally in orange jumpsuits, like dancing to thriller out in the prison yard. Um, and it's like, it's extraordinary. I mean, I cry every time I watch that video, like I cry. And I, I also, I told you it was smooth criminal when he was going back and forth. I was like screaming at my family, like, watch this. You need to watch these gravity defined shoes. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think part of it is also, you know, I've, I've lived through multiple celebrity deaths. Kurt Cobain, um, I would say was a much bigger Nirvana fan than I was ever a Michael Jackson fan. Kurt Cobain's death. I remember exactly where I was. I was going uh, actually to a show that I was modeling at and I was going through a toll booth with my mother and it came on the radio that Kurt Cobain had died. And I was like, what? Um, Princess Diana, I remember. And these are things mm-hmm. that shook me, but I never cried over any of those people. I, and I think part of it is also the innocence of Michael Jackson. You know, there's a, there's a famous, um, 
uh, Hindu sage named Ramana Maharishi who says, uh, a flower can be deep in the forest, but a bee will find it. And I think, you know, what Mm -hmm. that means is that we know sincerity and we know what is sweet and what's honey and what's true. You know, we're animals. We, at at basic level, we have instincts. And I think there's that vulnerability that everybody kind of, you know, wanted to protect him for, you know, he was vulnerable and he was innocent and he had been pushed into this and such tremendous talent. And, you know, I was thinking about an analogy, like when you squeeze coal, that's how you produce a diamond. And to me, that was such a great analogy, except that this diamond, you know, there were all sorts of like scratches and things that it was never going to be a clear sort of diamond. The talent was clear and extraordinary, but what he had suffered in his childhood and then sort of never being kind of, you know, come through a normal adolescence where we all sort of deal with things like criticism and bullies and people that don't like you and having to deal with the schoolyard bully and your parents saying no to you and having to go to college and freaking out, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And, you know, having your first job, maybe it's like being fired from the, those are things that never happened to him. He had it at a much different level on a public stage before there was social media, sort of adored more money that you can imagine. I mean, you should watch in the Martin Bashir documentary. He's just walking through this Vegas store, which, by the way, I've been to that store. I was in Vegas and I, I walked by this store and, you know, I have a phenomenal memory. And I had not seen that documentary in like a long time. I saw it when it first came out and I literally stopped and I went, wait a minute. And I walked in the store and I'm like, is this the Michael Jackson store? And the guy starts laughing and he goes, yeah. And she was like, you're crazy. How do you remember mm-hmm. that? I'm like, I don't know. The store this was is you though. Store. This is you. This is me. I know. I've got this amazing memory. But he walks through the store and he goes, I'll take that. I'll take seven of those. And he's looking at the price tag. Martin Michel goes, that was $250,000. And he goes, I'll take one of those. Oh, my God. Look at this sarcophagus. Don't you love it? It's too uncommon, sir. It's a replica. I got one of those, right? I didn't. Get me two of those. And I'll take those paintings. And he's like, wait a minute. How much? He goes, that's about $5 million. And he goes, and, um, and he goes, oh, I got to take the kids, the kids. I promised the kids to take them, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, this is the world the guy lived in. Mm-hmm. Did he even enjoy these things? Yeah. Like, you did know? it even, did it even register? I mean, they probably came to his house and were sitting in his house. Yeah. How much did he enjoy them? I mean, were they even in his house, right? Were they in a warehouse? Were they? So this is, these are all gives you insight into the personality, like, you know, of, who this person, and you would think, I was also thinking with all that money and, you know, the way that his face was morphing and stuff, you would think, and maybe many people have said that someone would say to him, Michael, too much. His mother in the end, after his death said, I think he might've been a little too addicted to plastic surgery um, mm-hmm. at, with his nose, you know, and people, and he's come out and said, I didn't do anything else to my face. I just did my nose twice is what he said. The hair was the result of the Pepsi thing. The skin color was the vitiligo. Um, But you would think that with all of that money, some handler, somebody would have been able to get through to him and say, Michael. Yeah. So it is a tragedy, really. 
of Shakespearean proportions. But what we have today is the amazing music that he left us with, um, which I don't know. Do you have a a favorite song? Is there something that? Um, My favorite Michael Jackson song is probably Beat It. Beat It. And by the way, I will tell you something else. He's not, I mean, I say all those things that very immature and innocent and insecure and trying to please the public and himself and awkward. And, and, you know, people have said, you know, Michael was the, you know, why are you looking so white when he goes, of course, I love being black, but you got to remember these guys came up at a time when, you know, uh, if, you know, at least now there are video cameras and stuff. So we know what is happening to people, but you know, back then, there was just no repercussion if somebody was going to be racist to you. And these things get internalized quickly, right? If you're different or you're being told that you're not as attractive. His father used to tell him he wasn't attractive. So um, yeah. even though he goes, I'm proud of being black. I'm like, of course he internalized some of this stuff from his own father, from society, the people that he looked up to, the people that he was around. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's when racism is a, system like on a systemic level like you can't help but internalize stuff like that there's actually an article that i was reading sort of ahead of this um ta-nehisi coates at the atlantic Uh wrote an article sort of comparing not comparing well i i i'm interested i you should go read it and and people in the audience go read this it's basically comparing michael jackson and kanye west and this idea of like the genius with the complications and the genius with the controversy and and how their blackness and interacting in sort of a white centric kind of, all of these factors sort of operating together and how that that you know paints the picture of of who they are and what their experience is um i would definitely go and and check out that article especially sort of looking at the legacy and, and the impact that Michael Jackson continues to have and, and Tomahisi Coates, I think is just a fantastic writer is his, I love his work. Um, so definitely go and check that out. Um, if you haven't already. That's a very interesting comparison. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I think maybe one of the men, I wonder if you agree with me, I think maybe one of the main differences might be that at that time, Michael Jackson couldn't say, or maybe he himself didn't believe it. Right. Because if you're constantly told you're this, you're this, you're this, you start to buy it at a certain time. Whereas I think Kanye West comes out and says, hey, this is happening because I'm African-American and you did this because she was African-American, you know? So he has at least that, uh, you know, bipolar issues aside, he has that confidence to be able to come out and be like, that's why that happened and that's wrong. And he's not afraid in a way that I think Michael Jackson never did. And even when he did come out and do it, it was kind of more like a lame, you know, because his actions were different. And there were many articles that I read that were like, if Michael Jackson, then why was he choosing white women to have his kids? Why was he, you know, and, and he was like, he came out and said, no, Blanket's mother was black. Well, it's now been, uh, you know, documented or sort of verified that uh, Blanket's mother, I think, is Hispanic. And so, but people were asking these questions. And again, I don't fault it because I think that that time, and even now, it's very difficult if you are different, if you're told that your look isn't the right look, 
Uh, your culture isn't the right culture in many different ways, right? Not just blatantly somebody telling you that, but the whole culture. And as I mentioned, Thriller changed everything. And he was an adult by the time Thriller came out. And so you're living in an environment where you're, you're not as, you know, not, you're not, um, uh, you're not enough basically. Um, and so to go through that transition, you're still, they always say you're still sort of that three to five year old, you know, like they say your core personality is formed by that age. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's just, you just get into talking about dismantling racism, patriarchy, all, you know, but it's just, it is, you have to, I think that's another thing to always just remember talking, you know, specifically about Michael Jackson, but just in general, like just the context and the larger like societal norms and expectations and pressures and like just remembering the environments that people exist in and that we exist in just add always adds this whole other layer to to any any one story you can't you can't separate it yeah and i think you have to take account of the time when this was all going on right mm-hmm. um and the background of this and like i you know one of the things you know when i was taking my notes for this i wrote literally 7,000 times over and over and over again. You guys have to understand that this changed everything mm-hmm. because I was, I keep forgetting that we're all different generations and you guys didn't live through guns and roses or, you know, all of the stuff that um, I did. And, and I think about it. I sometimes forget that some of this stuff might be as foreign to Gen Z's and even sort of late millennials as the 60s and 70s was to me. You know, I'm like, wow, that was really a long time ago. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think like Michael Jackson and I'm like, what? You guys, Guns N' Roses was huge, right? And that people are like, uh, that was the 90s. <laughs> and I'm like, really? I'm like, was that so? I felt like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to just keep hitting home that the record changed everything. That record, you did not see white crowds screaming that way, fainting. I mean, you should watch these documentaries. These girls going, Michael, it's always German. I don't know why it's always girls in Europe. Always going, Michael, can I hug you? And he goes, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. And I'm like, well, don't go near her. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> you know She's probably crazy, you know, but... And he's they're like, Michael, please, can I hug you? And, she, and he's always like, yeah. And then he gives them a hug and they like collapse, you know, they're mm-hmm. like crying in the park. And that was the first time you'd seen that, you know? And you were like, wow. I mean, now I'm like, wow. I didn't realize back then because I didn't know any better, right? This was the first time I was being exposed to, um, uh, you know, somebody of that level. So I didn't know that that hadn't happened before, mm-hmm. that you wouldn't see hordes of white girls at a concert, you know, like fainting and over a, and again, it didn't seem that big a deal because I grew up that and I just thought, oh, that's just, you know, music. But now yeah. looking back, it's like, no, that didn't happen before. Because remember, MTV also came up at the time. MTV would not play back black artists until they were threatened. And then after that, you literally could not get away from Billie Jean. I was like, oh, my God, will they play something else? Um, and uh, so it really just was a it was more than kind of like a selling album and significant in music. This was a significant American Mm -hmm. global cultural 
movement. I mean, yeah. it changed everything. It was a significant time. It was, you know, it was a moment of cultural significance and everything changed. Everything changed. Prince could, you know, so I was at an all girls Catholic school, you know, and all of the girls were like in love with Prince, you know, and mm -hmm. that sort of paved the way for, you know, all of these girls going crazy over Prince, which might not have happened if there wasn't, hadn't been a Michael Jackson. Yeah, there were no Michael to be Jackson. Honest, to be honest. But um, so let me ask you, you, when was the first time that you actually heard a Michael Jackson song? And what was I it? I don't think I, I don't, I, I don't think I even remember, like, it, my, like my, my dad and my grandfather were always just playing it. You know, oh, really? so I don't, I don't, I don't even think I remember the first time I heard a Michael Jackson song. I just, I think I always, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't, I don't, I normally I'm like a very specific person that can like point to specific events and this is the first time. And like I was saying, I remember where I was when he died and everything. And I remember like doing a dance to his song or whatnot, but I, I don't know. It was always, he was always just kind of there, you know, he was always just kind of playing. He was always sort of like soundtrack of my life growing up and whatnot. Like he was always in the background somehow. Do you think of him as like the Beatles, like in that sort of thing? Or do you just sort of think of him as like your father's music or classic? No, I, or he, what? Michael Jackson is like the Beatles for me. Like yeah. he, and especially too, because he really I'm a dancer. Is, yeah, because I'm a, I'm a dancer too. So it's, it's. And just looking, you know, like you get the moonwalk, you know, like everything he's, he's, he's just the way we're talking about, he, he supersedes genre and, and industry. Like he is just an icon. I don't think of him as old. Like I, you know, he, he, he feels sort of timeless. He is, he is very timeless. And I think you know, I think that the influence that he's had on so many people, I mean, I just read you a few quotes of, mm -hmm. and these are people that were talking about his Carol Bayer Sager. I mean, people that you wouldn't imagine. Uh, and I'd mentioned Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese and Dick Clark. Dick Clark, definitely you would stick. So Dick Clark, I don't know if you know who he is, but uh, Dick Clark was kind of, he did this show called American Bandstand. So he was kind mm -hmm. of like America's MC. And yeah, I I think he also did a countdown show. So he was considered like this guy that was sort of like the, again, before social media, he was the guy that introduced all the stars on his show. You know, it was like a, like a white soul train, I think. Um, that was like a bad analogy, but, um, you know, and so, I mean, Dick Clark basically was connected with everyone. And for him to say there is nobody greater than Michael Jackson is like sort of a huge, and that's, you heard that in the quotes, everybody kind of, you know, came out and said that. And with the record thriller, you know, I mentioned we've been talking a lot about how it crossed genres and there were collaborations uh, that had never been seen and introduced hard. Paul McCartney also was on that. You know, they also had a song called mm -hmm. Say, 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 which was a single. I did buy that single. Um, I still have it somewhere. Um, and I would stare at the picture of the both of them at the back all the time. Um, but uh, Paul McCartney was actually, I think, also on Thriller, along with, you know, we mentioned members of Toto, James Ingram, actually, Eddie Van Halen, uh, of course, Quincy Jones producing, Vincent Price doing some voiceovers. Um, so, you know, and, and when we, 
and again, you know, I will, I know everybody wants to kill me for saying this, but <laughs> it was also groundbreaking, not just on the musical creative crossover creativity side. It made a difference on the business side. On the business side. Yeah. Yeah. Emotions, royalties, how, how records were packaged, uh, how videos were used to sell music. I mean, it set precedent after precedent after precedent. Yeah. I mean, his, his legacy, exactly. It's not just the art of it. It's the business of it too. And I think that combination is like, that's, that's sort of exactly what's going to keep and, and sustaining the staying power of it. Yeah. Well, I think we are rolling to 930. And uh, unless somebody has something that they wanted to share or um, a comment or want to share a memory or anything, um, I was Yeah, I just want to say thanks to uh, Swifty Lover and Material Girl for, you know, dropping some comments in the live chat. Um, we always sort of welcome your your input like that. And and again, like Sarah, you said, if you ever have anything you want to say, you can just tap that phone icon in the bottom right hand corner. And we'll bring you right up. But I think also, you know, next, the week after uh, is uh, actually his 13th death anniversary, which again, mm-hmm. I'm not planning it this way, but I keep doing these things on a important date, like a birthday or an anniversary of the thing. But um well, uh, I'm glad that we have this man's music. And yep. uh, as I said, I was very, very emotional doing the research for this show. Um, and that says something. I think he's touched all of us in some way. Um, and I want to leave with um, kind of a beautiful thought. And then I'm going to play Thriller, which is one of my absolute favorite songs off that record. Um, and wait for my favorite part, which goes doo 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 doo, which starts during the instrumental. It's like the, it's like the electronic frog. Um, but, um, you know, I was at a, um, a lecture, um, a history lecture, and the person was talking about how we are actually the reincarnations of everything that has ever been. And I was like, what? And he goes, whether you believe it or not, he picked me and he goes, name me a historical figure uh, that you love or that you look up to. And I said, uh, I said, Leonardo da Vinci, Elizabeth the first, um, fascinated by both of them. And he goes, well, they're a part of you. Great choices. And I was like, like, well, great. I, okay. Wow. And he goes, think about it. Biologically, all we are is these elements, right? Water, hydrogen, uh, you know, oxygen, and um, every breath that you take comes out, turns into sort of vapor, water vapor, goes up into the the atmosphere and then comes back down as water, which you drink, uh, you know, when you die, you know, um, whether you're cremated or buried or whatever, you go back to the elements that fertilizes the ground and trees and the water that you drink, whatever. And he goes, it's a cycle. So every person that has ever lived, including all of your heroes are actually part of you. You're drinking in the water that they drank. You are smelling in the, you know, the smells in the air, you're breathing in the oxygen. And I thought about it and I thought that is so right. He goes, it's all water, right? He's like, you're evaporating and you know, the, 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 your breath is evaporating into the atmosphere. It comes down as rain. Uh, it, you know, and I thought it's true. It's all cyclical. So anyway, maybe he lives in all of us, um, in a little way. And, um, 
I was really glad that we did this. Um, just a small I am tribute. Too. Yeah, no, I am too. I am too. Small tribute. So thank you, Olivia. Um, and so guys, thank you. do this Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, we'll probably put out a schedule for the show uh, next week, uh, the next couple of months that we're going to do. But in the interim, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm going to go out with one of my favorite songs um, from the iconic album Thriller. And this is Thriller. And we love you, Michael Jackson. Good night, Olivia. Good night. Let's dance it out.